Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. This is a place for people who love to eat. So show your good taste just by tuning in because every weekend I'm delivering the world of food directly to your radio. I have the best culinary thinkers on this show and my food philosophy is all about flavor and freshness. I believe that ingredients are paramount and that gathering friends and family at the table is truly where we create memories. Whether you love to cook or just love to eat, you are bound to find something that you'll love on this show and I hope that you'll visit chefjamie.com where I am always serving up seconds. You can also take your cooking skills to the next level by becoming a friend and a fan on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you will find my daily dish because I truly believe that a meal is a terrible thing to waste, of course. So we'll kick off this show with a tutorial of sorts, as I like to do every weekend in the hopes that I inspire you, that you feel like your culinary knowledge has been elevated or so that you can take your cooking skills truly to the next level in your own kitchen to be the best chef you know. And so this is a lesson in balsamic. You might think of balsamic vinegar for salad dressing or maybe an elegant drizzle on a caprese salad, but today's balsamic vinegar is so much more than that. It's really being considered the new black gold. It is an ingredient, balsamic, that can transform meat or pasta, even desserts and cocktails, into something new and different. You can use it as is in its bottled form, the very many aged varieties that I'll tell you about, or you can reduce it to a glaze and drizzle it over strawberries. You can stir it into risotto. You can use it as a marinade for a killer peppercorn steak. It's really the versatility that makes balsamic vinegar popular, not just in Italy, but worldwide. And because of our, I think, ever-growing and uh, continuing passion, I would say, for balsamic vinegar, there really is a demand for it like never before. So it is said that the first written reference to balsamic vinegar was actually made in 1046 from the area that is now Modena or Modena, it's pronounced a couple of different ways, in Italy, of course. Today's balsamic vinegar is known to great cooks around the world, and it can sell for $200 an ounce or as inexpensively as $3 for a bottle. But how can one vinegar offer such a dramatic price range? Well, there isn't just one type of balsamic. So I thought I'd help you understand the difference. So true balsamic vinegar, uh, said to be from Italy, is produced in Modena, and it is now exported to more than 120 countries around the globe. And amazingly, I think this is an, out, uh, an astounding number and an outstanding one for that matter. 93% of the balsamic that is produced is still consumed in Italy. 
So no doubt it is a superstar product for a lot of reasons. The Italians love it. And the U.S. is ever growing in our fondness for balsamic. The first balsamic vinegar sold in the U.S. arrived courtesy of Chuck Williams, may he rest in peace, the founder of Williams Sonoma. In 1977, he was quite progressive. He was a visionary who definitely paved the way for gourmet ingredients to come into the U.S. from other countries, and so we honor his legacy and we thank him. It was in 1977 that he brought the first bottle of Italian balsamic to Williams Sonoma, his first flagship store. And ever since, we have had more and more opportunity over the years to get our hands on what Italians love the most, and that is the really good aged stuff. Oh, yes. There are specific rules, by the way, for the balsamic producers to produce vinegar and label it from Modena or Modena. The vinegar is cooked in pressurized vats, very generally speaking. It's aged a minimum of two months, by the way, in large wooden barrels. And the wood of these barrels uh, is determined by the producer, and it can be anything from oak to applewood and more. And then uh, you'll find aged balsamics up to 50 years as well, thus showing you the span of balsamic available today. Now, the grade of balsamic vinegar that's known as salad balsamic is really very much just what is considered a traditional balsamic vinegar. And it's the go-to for a salad dressing, right? It's a great flavor enhancer, works as a marinade. Um, Unlike the fancier aged balsamics, it's really good to cook with because you can cook it down. In fact, one of my favorite things to do And I would like to say very humbly that I was a bit before the times, probably almost 20 years ago, I reduced balsamic vinegar down, bottled it and put it on grocery store shelves. I think it was just a bit before it's time. That balsamic syrup uh, that by the way, makes your your house smell just crazy like vinegar. You add some sugar to it to get it to reduce down is now available in squeeze bottles in every grocery store and made by uh, domestic uh, balsamic producers in that they take Italian balsamic and produce it in the U.S. with sugar as a syrup. Um, But it's also made by Italian producers today. So uh, that balsamic syrup can be easily made at home and it is best done with the inexpensive but still pure Italian balsamic vinegar. Now, The granddaddy of balsamic vinegars is only made in two regions in Italy using traditional methods, and it is overseen very strictly by a certification agency. And it begins, too, with a grape must, and it's cooked down and then matured. And the minimum of these aged balsamics that are a step above the quote-unquote salad balsamics must age for a minimum of 12 years in wood barrels. And the vinegar naturally gets thicker and more concentrated because evaporation occurs through the walls of the barrels. And you'll find these aged balsamic vinegars in beautiful bottles in gourmet supermarkets and in gourmet grocers and uh, specialty stores online from top-notch producers and so on. Everywhere from 12-year aged all the way up to that 50-year vintage. And it really is 
prized gold. It's glossy and it's viscous and it moves like syrup and it has this velvety texture. And if you put a few drops on berries or on uh, Parmigiano Reggiano or good Parmesan cheese, or you drizzle it over vanilla ice cream, you are almost transported to Italy. Now, it's time for food news this week. And I love good food news. For the first time ever, an American cheese has taken the top prize at the World Cheese Awards. Yes, just a Friday ago, the winners of the 32nd annual competition, which some call the Oscars of Cheese, were announced. And more than 3,800 cheeses from 42 countries were entered. And guess who won? Congratulations, Oregon, the Rogue River Blue Cheese from Rogue Creamery in Central Point, Oregon, was named the World Champion Cheese. First time ever an American cheese took top prize. The winning Rogue River Blue is hand-wrapped in Syrah grape leaves that have been soaked in pear liqueur. It's then cave-aged for 9 to 11 months. And I cannot wait to taste it. Very honestly, I have not before, but I will be ordering a quarter wheel just like you can. Although uh, it helps to be in Oregon. If uh, you live near the Rogue Creamery, you can um, buy it there. uh, And you can also find it at a number of retailers, understandably, in Oregon. Uh, But it's also being bragged about uh, by those who have searched for it and have found it at some Whole Foods locations across the country. So uh, get your hands on it now. You can order from their website, a quarter wheel or a full wheel as well. Congratulations to Rogue Creamery for your Rogue River Blue number one top prize at the World Cheese Awards to cool, right? All right, there's lots more cool conversation coming up in your radio. In fact, this next conversation is guaranteed to be delicious because it's pie season. And who doesn't love pie? Well, Kathy Barron does. And when pies fly, her new book will teach you pie every way. Stay tuned. We're dishing on pie. And coming up later, we're doing some meal prep. So don't touch your dial. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio doing what I love, sharing my passion for all things scrumptious. Stay tuned. There's more right after this. I say the next best thing to eating food is talking about it. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Who doesn't love pie in all its forms, right? We're taking a global look at pie today with a true expert. Following up on her second best-selling cookbook, food writer Kathy Barrow's third cookbook just released entitled When Pies Fly. It's all the wonderful uses for pastry dough with crowd pleasing and easy to make tart recipes, empanadas, strudels, turnovers, knishes, and more. 
Kathy Barrow writes the Bring It column in the Washington Post's food section and has written for the New York Times, Savour, and National Geographic, among others. And she is here to dish. Hi, Jamie. Glad to be here. <laughs> oh. uh, congratulations to you and kudos. Every recipe is a winner in this book. I cannot wait to just open to a random page and get to baking. Thank you. Yes. I wish I could be there with you. I do, I do too, but I have a feeling that you have tested all of these and, and definitely experimented making them all uh, hundreds of times. Have you moved on to something other than pie at this point? <laughs> well, I, have, I like to tell people that I made over 800 pies in two years <gasps> to write two books. Oh my so gosh. I feel like I I know a lot about pie, but it has not stopped my personal predilection for pie. Oh, and and I, I do love I love the peas. Thank you. All right. Well, we want to earn our pie wings like you. So if you would please start at the beginning and share the fundamentals. Can we talk butter and flour? I definitely Absolutely. necessities. Absolutely. To make a really good pie crust. Those are your two elements, butter and flour. Now, I happen to think that American butter makes the best pie dough. I know people turn to European butter for a lot of baking, but in the case of American butter, there happens to be a higher water content, and that water is what turns to steam, which is what puffs up the layers, which is what makes the beautiful crusty crust. Okay, so this is so much a... Uh, controversial but really deeply rooted scientific conversation and one that I think needs to be had because I am a, a proponent of European butter when it comes to cooking savory mostly and more so main meals, right? If you're going to finish yeah. pasta sauce, which we, uh, we've we been taught along the way, thank you, Scott Conant, that uh, really good red sauce is finished with butter, as are most sauces. It's for mouthfeel and flavor. If you're going to saute something, I say use European butter because the water content is lower, therefore you get yeah. better caramelization. But exactly the opposite scientific rule applies, as you just said. American butter for baking because you get... The rise? When you put cold butter mixed into flour in the oven that's very steamy hot, that butter explodes, it releases the steam, and the layers lift. And that's how you get a a flaky crust. Okay, so as you say, a bowl of creamy grits or on a warm baguette, European butter. Pie everything, says Kathy Barrow, uh, all American all the way. And then how about flour? Do you use all-purpose for just about everything? I do choose all-purpose for just about everything, and my preference is King Arthur flour, which is pretty widely available these days. Um, It is very consistent, and that's why I like it. The mix of winter and summer wheats, which can make for a soft or firmer um, texture, is, is exactly the same with every single bag of flour. And that's why to get consistent results, I opt for King Arthur. Let's talk dough 101 next. I love that you are an advocate for the food processor. In fact, one of the beauties of When Pies Fly to me was that I found it very approachable. I mean, your book, your books and your recipes are doable. Um, and if you can use an appliance, I'm all for it. Me too. And I think that many people suffer making pie dough because there's so much um, variation in the wording that recipes use. Mm. You know, 
combine the butter and flour until it looks like peas or cornmeal or gravel. Or, I mean, it's so hard to know what that means. If you use the food processor and you pulse it exactly 15 times, you will get the consistency that you need. So you don't have to worry about those visual cues that are can be um, inconsistent and disconcerting for people who don't exactly know what that means. Certainly. So I'm just trying to find the most specific language so that the technique works for everyone. And that's what makes it foolproof. Um, can you share your thoughts, please, on once that mix comes out of the food processor, there's a chill time that I would think with almost any dough is safe to say uh, is essential. Yes, I chill for at least four hours. Okay. That allows the liquids to be absorbed by the flour, the butter to come back together and really firm up, and everything just uh, organizes itself in that time. It's this little rest period, yeah. after which it'll roll out beautifully. Yeah, I call it chillax. It's when you chill mm-hmm. and relax. Exactly. Yes. And then when it comes to baking, can you discuss soggy bottoms, please? Oh. It's such a tragedy, isn't it? It is. It's a beautiful pie and this gorgeous crimped crust. And then you try to get the piece out and the bottom of it is all sloppy or it sticks to the pan. I think that that's just terrible. It's so awful. So when I was writing my first pie book, Pie Squared, at one point I opened my oven to put a pie in there and realized I had left my baking steel in the oven. Now, my baking steel replaced my pizza stone because I'm the only person in the world who's ever actually broken a pizza stone. No. And so I bought this thing called a steel, which weighs about 15 pounds, and you can't break it. It's steel. Um, so it gets screaming hot in the oven, and I had set the oven to 425. There was no way I could move that hot piece of steel out, so I just put the pie on top of it and thought, oh, well, I'll see what happens. Well, it turned out that that pie, when it came out of the oven, had the most beautiful, crispy bottom crust. And it was at that point that I decided that all pies should be cooked from the bottom as well as from the top. So you must use a metal pan because glass will break. But if you have a metal pan and you heat um, either a pizza stone or a baking steel or even an inverted baking sheet in the oven while you're preheating it, then you have a hot surface to place your pie pan on top of that and your bottom crust will never again be soggy. If you if you just gave the best holiday tip known to man, that all throughout the remainder of this lovely cooling season, we're going to bake our pies on the top of the stone that you're not using as much for pizza these coming months, I assume, right. uh, then you're guaranteed a perfect pie every time. That's brilliant. We want them to be crispy all the way around so they could be picked up. And if they're not and the bottom is soggy, then you lose all the loveliness of a handheld pie. Right well, there. of course. Okay, we are becoming pie experts. And you wouldn't want to miss a minute. The new book released from Kathy Barrow called When Pies Fly just released, and it is all about handmade pastries from strudels to stromboli. We'll take a quick break when we come back. Galettes on the agenda. Oh, and so much more. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Don't go away. 
Brilliantly Baking with author Kathy Barrow. Her third cookbook release, When Pies Fly, available now for everyone that loves pie. And that means all of us, of course. Kathy, let's get to the specifics, please. So starting with galettes. I love a galette. It's free form. It's supposed to look rustic and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? That's right. And one of the reasons I wrote this book, When Pies Fly, is what do you do if you end up someplace and you want to make a pie and you don't have a pie pan? Hmm. Well, you make a galette. Right. Right? That's a flying pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of fun with these galettes. I've, I've often made fruit galettes, and, but I started to experiment with some savory ones here. And I'm really crazy about the Philly cheesesteak galette. Okay. Delicious. That's the first one I rabbit eared to make. I love uh-huh. that this is a pie without a pan. So you can do it on a sheet pan. You could do it upside That's down right. on a sheet pan. You could do it on um, a- anything oven proof, really. And you start with a basic dough and you can go sweet or savory and you wrap the edges around, right? Just to encapsulate yes. the filling. But pleat them, basically. You pleat them, thank you. But a Philly cheesesteak filling, that's just brilliant. It's so good. I made a fonduta, which is a cheese sauce, basically, that surrounds the, um, you know, leftover steak or roast Mm. beef or anything like that. And then, of course, some spiky pickled peppers on the top. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I just love it. And then you make a hot crab dip galette because the bread bowl is so 2014. That's right. <laughs> so It's just a little rich. <laughs> uh, just a little, right? But I love the idea of putting any dip into a, a galette. That's fabulous. Absolutely. Talk about being, I say, a culinary hero, Kathy, on this show a lot. Bring that to a party. Yeah, that's a real winner. Uh, there's another real party winner in this book, and that's the antipasto stromboli. Oh, nice. That one just doesn't even last. You set it down on the table and turn around to say hello to someone, and it will be gone. And it's gone. Um, okay, moving on to other types of flying pies. The hand yes. pie. Growing in popularity can be stuffed with just about anything. I'm thinking for breakfast, there might be nothing better than your bacon, egg, and Swiss hand pie. Do you think or feel that hand pies take that much more work? You know, they do take a little more work, certainly, than a galette. But I think if you set out to just make some, like each of these recipes, I think, makes a dozen, Um, you can put a few of them in the freezer. Make a double recipe. Make Mm. 24 because you can take them right out of the freezer and right into a toaster oven, and in 20 or 30 minutes, you have a little hot snack for the afternoon. Yeah, I love that. You're freezing from raw, so unbaked? Unbaked. Okay. I freeze them on the baking sheet till they're hard, and then I put them in a Ziploc bag and just take one at a time. It's great for snacking that when you get home from that party and you haven't had enough to eat, but maybe you've had enough to drink. Sure. It's a a good thing. Very very smart, no doubt. And whether it's toaster oven or air fryer or conventional oven, you have just so many options. Uh, I think a pie popper is right up my alley, I will tell you, uh, because you can eat more than eight uh, without without guilt, right? It's just just that little... (laughs) 
popper, really. It's, but it's just two bites. <laughs> it's just two <laughs> bites. You call this a snacking pie. I do. Uh, there are many ways that I love these. They're great for a party because sometimes a pie can be hard to um, to cut into uh, slices that people want. They don't want that big a piece. They just want a little piece at a buffet. And so these poppers are the alternative. Everybody gets a whole one, Mm. but it's just two bites. And you can do it sweet or savory. Yeah, I like the sweet ones with ice cream. Mm. You put one or two in a bowl with a a, um, scoop of ice cream, and it's just great. Caramelized banana and Nutella pie poppers? When are you making those? I'm coming over. (laughs) That's in a chocolate crust, too. Oh, yes. Okay. Brandied peach. Oh, could summer come back again? Um, All right, let's uh, move on to talk tarts, please. Sure. Now, these tarts are not like the tarts that you might expect from, if you thought about a French tart with sides and all of that. These are what I call a frame tart. My mother used to do this. She would just take pie dough and cut it out into any shape that made sense. Sometimes she once cut out a of an airplane when friends were going on a trip and made a tart that looked like an airplane. She was very clever that way. So I took that idea and just took it one better. So they're, they're basically flat tarts with a little frame of dough around them and then layered ingredients on top. So they're free form, essentially, and you add the extra yep. layer of dough around the rim to, again, encapsulate the, ingredient, the, the sweet or savory yep. ingredients. Yes. Could you do and it I, in a quarter sheet pan? Oh, absolutely. You could do it in, a, in any pan. But uh, the fun of these is really in their freeformness. Okay. Like the um, Sunday locks and schmear tart. Oh, yes. A, it looks like a bagel. It's round with a hole in the center, and it's got everything that you would put on a bagel. It's got a creamy base and um, smoked salmon and tomato and capers and red onion. And it's so fun. It's really just adorable. Yeah, it looks fabulous. And then to honor my Jewish heritage, could we end with the classic potato knish? I love that you included knishes here. Well, it actually fits. It's pastry around a delicious filling. Right. And in fact, I am entering a competition a week from Monday. Um, So I'm prepping for it now. I have to bring 400 knishes (gasps) to a knish knockout. <laughs> oh, I love it. Good luck to you. What's the secret to the knish? We won't tell anyone. Okay. Um, <laughs> the secret to the knish is this dough that I found on an old recipe card of my grandmother's. Oh, I and love it, it is a dairy free dough because um, in a kosher household, you want a dough that can go to either meat or, or dairy. Right. And so this dough is made with oil and baking powder, and it's weird. It's super oily and you think this is the strangest thing I've ever seen but when you roll it out it gets to be whisper thin just like strudel dough and then it bakes up crispy and and, um, crunchy and flaky it's like no knish you've ever had 
Oh, brilliant. I know you're going to win, Kathy, and we're uh, rooting for you. Thank you for sharing the secrets, the savory, the sweet, and all the beauty of pie. And again, congratulations to you. This is a stellar cookbook, and I know it's going to bestseller. Uh, The follow-up to the 2018 James Beard Award-nominated Pie Squared is When Pies Fly from food writer Kathy Barrow, all the ways to use pastry dough deliciously with pie and pastry doughs that are straightforward and forgiving, the recipes shared, uh, really inventive, wonderful combinations with a nod to nostalgia as well. You can turn out pie practically every way with her step-by-step techniques. This is my go-to book for fourth quarter, and I can't wait to cook from it, Kathy. Please, you have a welcome invitation anytime a new pie comes to mind. Will you come back, please? I'd love that. Thank you so much, <laughs> Thank Jamie. you. I'd love it, too. The book is available on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. Kathy, how can we follow your culinary escapades? Uh, I'm on all social media at Kathy Barrow. That's Kathy with a C, B-A-R-R-O-W. And I have a website, kathybarrow.com, with a list of all my events and classes and appearances. Good. Save me a knish, please. You bet. 401. Thank you, Kathy, so much. As the delicious conversation continues, we do have great culinary thinkers on this show, and we will make you an expert. Who doesn't love pie? Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Be right back. All the inspiration you need to eat well and live well every weekend in your radio. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen here. Mastering meal prep is an art. And Steph and Adam are YouTube's most popular meal preppers. Eating a plant-based diet, one that embraces veggies and ditches meat and eggs and dairy, is one of the easiest ways to improve your health 
And these are two healthy food lovers. Whether you're going entirely vegan or you just want to incorporate more plant-based meals into your diet, Steph and Adam will show you how. Your meals will be ready to go when you're ready to eat. And that sounds good to me. So this husband and wife duo stop by to dig deep and share their love of a plant-based lifestyle. Stephanie Tornatore and Adam Bannon are the creators of Steph and Adam, a YouTube channel devoted to plant-based eating and meal prep. And every week they share simple recipes with over half a million followers. And I'm very grateful you're both here to dish. Welcome. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Uh, the book is terrific. Congratulations. Plant-based meal prep just released. It's a, it's a very great guide, guys. And that's what I like about it is I felt like I was very much stepped through, even if it's just for my meatless Monday meals. But Steph, kick it off and talk plant-based versus vegan, please. I think the biggest difference between vegan and plant-based is that if you're vegan, it's more about animal activism. Whereas if you're plant-based, which is what we do is plant-based whole food uh, lifestyle, uh, that's more about your health and getting lots and lots of fruits and veggies into your diet. So, um, for example, like uh, something that's classified as vegan, which has zero animal products in it, is an Oreo. But someone like us who's doing a whole food plant-based diet isn't going to eat an Oreo. So um, we focus our diet on all fruits and veggies and lots of whole foods that are super yummy and very versatile. Yeah, I understand from learning about the both of you that, Adam, you in this transition um, ate a lot of corn chips at one point, yes? <laughs> yeah, so in the beginning when I was first moving into a plant-based diet, I uh, wasn't really thinking of uh, all the variety that I could use, and I just kind of went, well, what isn't uh, meat? And I just went, well, beans and chips is probably the thing I can start with. Uh, and that wasn't a great way uh, to start a plant-based diet. I didn't feel very good just eating beans and chips. Uh, and then eventually, once we kind of decided, well, how about we start to create some fantastic food that we love, plant-based, and we can enjoy it a lot better, uh, I had much better success sticking to a plant-based diet. Yeah, and feeling good, too. I mean, I know you're both fit, but really, you talk a lot about how your body feels, how you function. You're raising a beautiful little girl. I mean, what keeps you, uh, you know, active and feeling uh, strong throughout the day? Um, and I love that you share like the nitty gritty in the book, the tips that you've learned from trial and error about meal prep. And our lives are busier than ever. So I am I believe that meal prep, and I'm all about it, is definitely a culinary art. Adam, tell us about your scrap bowl, please. And then when you plan to meal prep, how it works, because it takes less than an hour. It yields eight meals. I mean, you have it down to a, a science. Absolutely. So um, being a professional chef, uh, I sometimes take for granted all the things that I can do um, where I, I kind of like to explain, I have like octopus hands. My hands are moving very fast uh, and everything comes together very quickly and with the book now, I've tried to break down for everyone the most simplest way to learn the skill of meal prepping because the art of cooking two to three meals at a time um, is, is such a great skill to learn in the kitchen because you can be so much more effective in completing the cooking process. So when it comes to meal prep, if I can teach you um, to cook multiple meals, then you can get out of the kitchen faster and then have more meals um, for the time that you spent cooking. So... Um, what we try to do is try to break down like what food takes the longest to cook, 
make sure that is on the stove or in the oven first, uh, then moving on to preparing uh, the vegetables and then coming back around and finishing all the food off together so you don't waste any time. Uh, and the scrap follow you said is uh, <laughs> one of my little tidbits that I use. It's just so, it's such a simple tip, but being able to put all your scraps in one little bowl and not have them over the bench or over your workspace um, frees up clutter on the bench and it doesn't make you feel overwhelmed if you have all the scraps over the cutting board. Uh, they're in one little bowl and they're just to the side and you don't feel overwhelmed with everything when you're cutting board. I think it's smart because I think a lot of people for total utilization will make use of the scrap bowl, whether it's, you know, a vegetable stock or a waste not want not composting or otherwise. Uh, there's so much to utilize and the book is terrific for anyone who is looking to eat a plant-based diet uh, to incorporate more plant-based dishes to meal prep for the week to eat wholesome and wonderfully Uh, these are comfort food favorites from youtube's most popular meal preppers you don't have to give up the flavors you love so say steph and adam You can find them on YouTube sharing uh, with their half a million fans and followers uh, the best way to plant-based meal prep. And you can follow along in their new cookbook release of the same name on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Steph and Adam Official, the book Plant-Based Meal Prep. Thank you both for the inspiration. Continued success to you. I love what you're sharing. Thank you so much. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration. I hope that I made you hungry and that you will tune in next weekend because you just might learn something. If you missed a show, you can always find podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. My website at chefjamie.com will make you a better cook. And I do hope that you'll follow on social at Chef Jamie Gwen, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too, where I will post this recipe, my last bite. It's a two-ingredient butternut squash soup. It's the easiest you'll ever make. It turns out creamy and beautifully rich, and it has this pure squash flavor and just two ingredients. So I'm going to make you guess them. One is butternut squash. What's the other? Check it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. My two-ingredient butternut squash soup posting now. Also, check out my 2020 Alaska cruise. Come cruise with me. You are invited to see glaciers and drink really good beer and have fabulous smoked fish as we tour Alaska on Oceana cruises, private cooking classes on board with me, cocktail parties, dinners galore, and so much more. Please come cruise with me in 2020, August of next year, as we visit Alaska on Oceana. More info on my social media at Chef Jamie Gwen or email me jamie at chefjamie.com. Okay, that's it for this weekend. Until next weekend, I hope that you continue to eat well. Thanks for listening. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off.